Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be on the show, then you can always give me a call here on the listener hotline, 303-832-0217. And of course, all the contact links are in the description of this show. You know, I used to love snowstorms. Because we're just coming off of snow coverage. As, as a kid, they were the greatest. The chance that school gets canceled. Uh, unlimited opportunities to play in the snow, to build snow forts. I love building snow forts. And, and it's remarkable to me how quiet everything is in the snow. Just plop yourself into the snow and it's just a great sound deadener. It makes everything quiet. I love that about snow. Of course, there's the skiing and the sledding, and if we were lucky when I was growing up, my best friend's dad, he would tie a toboggan, you know, one of those real long sleds, to the back of his car, and if the snow was covering the road, he he would uh, pull us on the toboggan down the street, (laughs) and if you fell off, it's okay, he would just pick you up on the way back. He would actually sling his sly, slinky his way pretty much, you know, he's got an S-curve his way down the road, almost trying to get us to get knocked off of the toboggan, and then he would just pick us up on the way back. Um, it was the, really the best of times, and I couldn't imagine the trouble he would be in now if the early 1970s was 2022. He would lose his license, he would probably uh, go to jail, lose his job, lose his wife, all the above, and probably worse. I could only imagine the news stories and the videos uh, uh, of somebody doing that today, and the sensibilities of what life was like 40 years ago compared to what it is 50 years ago compared to what it is now. Uh, and, and now because of what I do for a living, I really have learned to hate the snowstorm. It, it's, it, it's really this, I think it's about the constant storm coverage with, uh, on TV with more hits and continued broadcasting on the streaming. And then there's crashes and issues with, uh, everything roads closed, crashes, crashes, more crashes. And, and if the storm is in a day storm, then they bring me back to do afternoon shows. See, I used to have to come back downtown to broadcast uh, from the studio uh, where I would do like the four o'clock and the five o'clock and the six o'clock news. And then I would have barely enough time to go grab a quick uh, bite to eat um, and then get off to bed and then get up and do it all over again at 2.30 in the morning uh, for the next day of storm coverage. And I'd have to do that back downtown. Uh, yeah, cause sometimes they'd put me up in a hotel, uh, and it's never, I never l- like sleeping in a hotel, especially it's on a, like a work thing kind of like that. Um, but now I can actually do the afternoon shows from my home studio in the basement. So it, it helps tremendously to be able to sleep at night in your own bed. And I could run upstairs between, uh, the five thirty and six o'clock newscast and, uh, go grab something to eat. So you don't have to wait till the end of the show to get out of there and get something to eat, um, which I appreciate. Um, but then the next day you have to drive all the way back downtown, especially if it's raging snowstorm, uh, to get to the studio in the next morning. And I get it. 
I look, I get it. I, it's part of the job. It's what I signed up for. Um, especially as news stations, they hear from viewers all the time. And, and it's, it's, I'm not breaking news here. It's no, it's no secret that weather is a huge part of why people watch local news. So not to miss a good opportunity, local news delivers and delivers and delivers that weather coverage, especially when the weather is bad. Just, just picture any promo from your local news station, whatever it is, you have Doppler radar 7,000. Well, what actually, whatever, (laughs) whatever your uh, channel number is for your favorite local news station, that's going to be the number thousand for their radar. So if you're watching channel 13, they're going to have 13,000 radar, going to be looking at everything, everything Doppler 13,000. Uh, that's just, <laughs> that's just the way it is at every TV station around the country. They really hit weather because that's what people tell the TV stations they're really interested in. Uh, but as I get older and admittedly more cranky, I dislike all this snow coverage that we have to do. Uh, we live in, in, in Colorado where, uh, have you heard? It snows. However, there's a lot of people that have moved to Colorado and Denver specifically that uh, don't really experience Colorado snowstorms like they, I mean, have never really experienced that. So they don't, they're, they're not used to, all, you know, at, at times we can get a lot of snow here. Sometimes this has actually been a more dry year. We can get have a, a nice, dry, pretty relatively warm winter. But we're getting some snow. We're in the pattern here in January and, and coming up in February. We're, we will have a lot of snow, and you'll start to get snow cover on your street all the time, and you'll have some ruts in your road. And, uh, I mean, it's not like Buffalo where we're getting feet of snow, a little bit different than that. But it's just all the snow coverage that we have to do as a TV station uh, that starts to get under your skin. And I try to focus my coverage on what I would want to know if I had to drive in the bad weather. Uh, I mean, let's say I was an accountant or a, I don't know, a garbage truck driver or whatever. I would want to know if I had to get out, if I couldn't work from home, if I had to go out of the snow, what it's really like. But I also have to cover a storm in a way that would help my wife and people like her drive in the snow. Because she's a much different driver in the snow than I am. She grew up in Colorado. She knows how to drive in the snow, but she doesn't really like it. I don't mind driving in the snow, but I also respect it. I respect the slide, if you will, and and, and how you can slide and, and, and how best you can get around in the snow. But what I really hate is there's, there's so many TV stations, especially the reporters and sometimes, a lot of the times, the traffic people. They paint such a broad brush about the road condition. It's so terrible out there. You better not go out. Just stay inside. Have that extra cup of coffee. Ah, just sit and watch us standing out on the side of the road and getting our faces coated in cold ice snow and and just watch us as we're telling you what to do. That that doesn't help anybody. It really doesn't. And, you know, conditions, they, they change so much from neighborhood roads uh like my neighborhood road is still covered in snow a couple days later and but but the secondary roads are in much better shape and the highways are are different i mean the conditions change from major streets to secondary streets to highways from place to place around metro denver is especially challenging uh there can be places and and there have been storms where 
a mile away, you have light flurries from a, a place that you're getting an inch or an inch and a half of snow an hour, where it's just totally dumping in one spot, but then literally a mile away, you just have light flurries and the conditions are completely different. But so many people, they, they just paint that broad brush of, don't go out, it's so terrible, you can't do anything. Well, no, that's not the case. And there are a lot of seasoned drivers who can go out safely and navigate the roads safely, and they do it all the time. It's just there are a handful of jackballs that don't do it right, and they screw it up for the rest of us. So no matter how many times I'm going to say, hey, you know, watch out for those deceptively icy spots, even though the highway looks mostly dry, there are some wet and icy spots out there. Just take it, just take it easy. That doesn't matter. And I hate saying that, but I still have to say that sometimes. Uh, but there's going to be people that don't listen and they get into a crash. And, and I've talked about how inconvenient a crash is and how much time you're now going to waste uh, dealing with the crash, the, not only the initial impact and, and all that comes with that, but then the, the cleanup and the cost and the dealing with the insurance and the rental car and getting your car fixed or getting a new one or what, all that stuff. It's awful. It really is. And it's never worth trying to get somewhere, driving on a road that might be a little bit dicey at 60 or 70 miles an hour when you could do it at 40 or 50. Really, the three or four or five additional minutes that you're saving aren't worth it. That At least that's my experience. You go ahead and figure it out on your own. <laughs> that's just my, I guess that's my advice. I don't know. Uh, I mean, look, every job, no matter whatever you do, driving a garbage truck or being an accountant, they all have their own special challenges. And there's times, I'm sure, that you, no matter what you do, dread certain aspects of your job at certain times. Snowstorms for me are what I dread now most of the time. I think what I really need is not just a vacation, but also a job share, maybe with our uh, Phoenix or Tucson station, so I can go there in the winter and then come back here to Colorado in the summer. I think it's a brilliant idea. I'm not so sure the person in uh, Phoenix or, well, it was Big Al down in Tucson. I'm not sure who they have now. Uh, maybe two, maybe I can get uh, Big Al out of, out of retirement. <laughs> he can work for me in the wintertime here. And I can go down in Arizona and work there for the wintertime. Because really, what do you have to worry about in February? But Except for all the uh, uh, baseball players showing up for spring training. Bringing some extra traffic in their, uh, with their uh, pricey uh, sports cars as they're coming in for spring, <laughs> spring training, right? I, I, could, I could deal with that kind of a traffic jam and not all of this snow coverage that we have to do all the time. Uh, I, you know, it's, we have stations in, 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 uh, California in, in Phoenix. We have a, Hey, we, I think we have a Bakersfield station. Speaking of that, I want to, uh, talk to the traffic guy in, in, uh, our Bakersfield station. One, I'm surprised that we have a traffic report there. I can't imagine there's a lot of traffic there in Bakersfield. And two, it's a, uh, uh, state, uh, highway patrol, uh, trooper, uh, that, uh, actually does the traffic reports for our station there in Bakersfield. So I was going to have him on as one of our, uh, talking traffic segments. I got to get, I'm going to write that down right now. Uh, I'll contact him and, uh, see if I can get on for a talking traffic segment. Uh, anyway, we are in the middle right now of winter all across the country and really in obviously the snowy states. It might not be the first time you've driven on snow and ice, but it might be the first time you've done so in an electric vehicle. 
Now, you might be thinking driving any vehicle on snow is all the same, but it's really not the case. At, le- at least that's what I have found. Now, now you think that driving a... Here to help us through the differences in driving a regular internal combustion engine uh, or ICE vehicle and an electric vehicle or EV is Tim Waldenbach. Tim is the co-founder of Zootobi Driver's Ed, a gamified e-learning platform based on... Here to help us through the differences in driving a regular internal combustion engine or ICE vehicle and an electric vehicle or EV is Tim Waldenbach. Tim is the co-founder of Zootobi, Driver's Ed, a gamified e-learning platform focused on online driver's education to help teens get their license. Tim, thanks for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thank you for having me. So, Tim, I remember talking to your brother uh, just over a year ago. It was uh, in November of 2020. Um, How is Leo? I think it was episode number 187, so it's nice to have a, a family affair here. How is your brother? Oh, he's really good, thanks. Uh, everything is uh, sounding well for him, and he's uh, he could unfortunately couldn't make it today, so I had to step in. But he would have loved to be here. Good, glad to have you. Um, I say this is the world famous driving you crazy podcast, and I really do mean world famous. And we're talking to you from Sweden. Yeah, that's right. How is yeah? How is Sweden right now? Yeah, obviously lots of snow as well, and <laughs> we just had an issue with the EVs a couple of weeks back, where we had lots of stranded vehicles. So. I'd love to get into that later, but uh, it's uh, snowy, quite cold, and but otherwise enjoyable. You obviously have your fair share of ice and snow there. You know, I was shopping for tires recently, and I came across a brand you're probably familiar with, uh, Nokian Tires. Oh, uh, yeah. They're, uh, they're a Swedish brand, and they're actually now being sold here in the United States. Are, are they pretty popular there? Yeah, for sure. And I believe that since they work well here, they should work well anywhere that has snow, right? <laughs> you, you would think so. You would think that uh, a tire engineer would be able to go into the roads of Sweden where they're covered in snow and ice and, and figure out how to, do, <laughs> how, to, how to make them perform very well. Let's keep talking tires for just a second. I, I always say that even if you have an average car, not an SUV, not a four-wheel drive, even just some kind of average car, Tires can make a huge difference in how well you can get in and around and through the snow. How important do you think are good tires? Well, at least here in Sweden, we have uh, it's uh, mandated that we actually switch to winter tires once it gets a bit colder, just because of the, uh, the traction difference. Summer tires, they're usually quite sleek and they will not wear as much on the road. Uh, but winter tires, they have uh, large, larger growths and they really make a huge difference in terms of traction. So without winter tires, at least here, and the large grow, I'd say you, you're likely to run off the road. That's interesting that you say that it's mandated that you have to have summer and winter tires. So where do you keep your summer tires in the wintertime and vice versa? In the garage or <laughs> someplace like that. What if you're living in an apartment in a, you know, in somewhere and... Well, uh, lots of mechanics, they actually have uh, uh, tire hotels, is what you call them. So they, you pay them to keep your tires there in the, in the summer or winter. So then you go there and switch around when you, when you have to. How much is a tire hotel? It's quite cheap, actually. It's just like 40 to $60 a year. So it's not much at all. Wow, that's interesting. That, 
Sounds like a good, let me write that down. Tire Hotel. I, <laughs> I think that could work well. Special well, since you will keep coming back. Obviously, you're locked into that mechanic store, so you kind of you get some extra revenue from there as well. Yeah, and they probably then are the ones to put the tires on and off and then store them for you as well. So sounds like a pretty interesting business model. I'm um, speaking with Tim Waldenbach, co-founder of Zootobi. It's an online driver's education site. Uh, I have an electric vehicle, and there are to me, major differences in the way it drives in the ice and snow compared to a regular internal combustion engine car. One of the noticeable differences is that when you're spinning your wheels in a electric car, you don't hear an engine revving. So it's harder to tell when you're, you know, if, if your tires are just spinning uh, out of control because in a, in a regular internal combustion engine, you hit the gas, your tires are spinning and you can hear the, your, your, your engine revving. You don't have that in an electric car. Yeah, definitely. And it's also sort of an issue when it's uh, in, in the winter, when it's uh, when you don't kind of hear uh, cars coming. I find it a bit uh, um, unsettling, actually, because I love to when I go into traffic, I usually listen much for the traffic coming. And since um, since we have uh, EVs, they do not make as, many, make, make as much sound. It can actually be troublesome to hear if they're approaching. Do you have, I think in Sweden, you have a large number of electric vehicles more than in most cities in the United States? Yeah, for sure. We have more than, I think, all of the United States in terms of the percentage. Um, so, but that's just because we're very close to Norway and they're, they are selling really like EVs like cakes there, basically. It's quite insane. So we, we have a, a higher proportion than most of the world, but still we're lagging behind us from Norway at least. So when you're driving in the ice and snow in an electric vehicle, what do you have an electric vehicle? Do you find any differences in how the car performs co- compared to a regular internal combustion engine car? Uh, I have a hybrid, so it can go on electric power at times and then it's uh, combustion engine, engine power at times. So I've tried both. And yeah, it definitely feels a bit different. Uh, different. Uh, uh, I think it has to do a lot with um, how quickly the torque goes to the to the wheels, actually, because in terms of the electric uh, engines, the, you will automatically, like, straight away have the power to the wheels. So it will be an instant kind of rotation, whereas with a combustion engine, it will take a while for the power to actually reach the wheels. Um, and that, I think, is the biggest difference because it's harder to control kind of how the spin when you're driving an electric vehicle simply because it will go from zero to spin very quickly. Yeah, I've noticed that is a major difference because that amount of torque for me has been a problem, especially when I'm trying to start at a a traffic signal that goes from red to green and then I'm trying to go again uh, and I'll start to spin a little bit if I don't let the car just take my, my foot off the brake, let the car go a little bit and then start using... Uh, the gas to get going again. Have you found any other tricks on how to avoid spinning with all that torque? I don't think I have. I've, I'm mostly driving a combustion engine vehicle, so it's, that's that's the main main thing here. Right? It's, since it's a hybrid, I have the electric power for shorter distances, um, but that's the main one I have. Uh, I've really been noticing because uh, it's so it's kind of you really feel it like straight away like you mentioned in a traffic light for example like every time you notice that oh it's, it's really going much quicker with the torque there. in uh, some teslas they have 
more than just one motor. They'll have dual motors, or even quad motors that will send power to each of the uh, wheels. And, and I think that also might be a challenge too in driving in the snow, uh, again, with that torque. So it seems like even between different EV models, you might have a different experience with, with driving in ice and snow. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. I'm not sure, entirely sure which EV is the best for driving in snow and ice, but I'm sure there are major differences. So someone should probably check that out. Now, the handling to me seems basically the same, but uh, another advantage, maybe sometimes a disadvantage it, when stopping is the, the regen braking system. It, it does help slow the car down, obviously, because it's using that momentum to charge up the battery just a little bit. Um, but also it can make you slide a little bit if you are on some ice or snow. Um, do, do you think that, because it, I know in like a regular internal combustion engine uh, car, you just take their foot off the gas and you start coasting. I think it's almost a safer way to do it than having that re regen braking system that's trying to slow you down. Yeah, I think so as well. The problem with the regenerative uh, braking system is that you kind of lose control over your braking a bit. And in terms of when it's summer and so on, it really doesn't matter because obviously it will still have traction with the road. But in the winter, when you kind of need that full control, it can be troublesome because you don't really know when you will start sliding and kind of, yeah, controlling your own braking, I think is the, the way to go, at least in the winter. Because that's one of the biggest issues uh when you are driving in ice and snow is the braking people i think they try to use their brakes too much maybe they're too reliant on the uh the automatic braking system where it's trying to slow you down while you just hold the brakes down uh in the older cars you hold it down and you're sliding right into a curb but the <laughs> the automatic braking system tries to pump the brakes for you it seems that uh, a lot of people aren't maybe aren't familiar with how do those how those systems work yeah i think that's entirely possible and especially when it comes to braking, I, I feel that most people, they brake too late. So they come into curves and so on with a speed that's just way too high for their conditions. Um, and, and that's really troubling. Um, so we always try to teach our students that they really should kind of slow down well ahead of the curve. Because once you go into the curve and you have kind of the curvature uh, forcing you out towards the side of the road, which... I'm not sure what's it, what it's called, but um, yeah, it's, it can be really troubling if you if you try to slow down or brake at the same time. I'm speaking with Tim Waldenbach. He's the co-founder of Zootobi. It's an online driver's education site, and you can get to that site uh, in the description of this show right now. I, I'm sure you've read about the situation in Virginia over the last couple of weeks where there were stranded drivers for a day on the highway in a, an internal combustion engine car you could have it filled up with gas. And if you run out of gas, well, somebody could just bring you gas and then you can just keep sitting there if you, if you really needed to. But in an EV, it's completely different because once you're out of a charge, it's not really easy to get a charge to you unless you're able to park somewhere that, that or you know get a long enough extension cord from somebody's house, right? Yeah, that's, that's a big problem there. Usually when, you, when you're out driving, you know kind of the distance where you're going, you know where the charging ports are and so on. But when it comes to snowstorms, you never know kind of where you will get stranded. Um, so I feel like uh, being able to top off with fuel is, really, is a really good advantage for internal combustion engines, simply because they will always have fuel at the ready. When it comes to electric vehicles, there's, there's 
Like you can't even get a charge from another vehicle. Basically, you will need to kind of be towed off to some place where you can get a charge. So it's that can be a big problem. But as long as you have enough enough power by the time or at the start of your trip, I think you should be fine with the with an EV as well. It's just about planning. How well would an EV hold its charge? Let's say I left the house, I've driven 10 miles, I'm stuck on the highway now, um, and I have a range of, let's say, 300 miles, and I'm just stuck there on the highway, and I know I'm going to be there for 12 hours. Is that charge going to hold, be enough to keep the uh, internal uh, you know, equipment on and keep the heater on and, and allow me to hear the radio and, and at least be able to be in a warm car? Well, obviously, it all depends on kind of the, the, the car you're in and what, what kind of stuff you're using. But in general, EVs tend to lose between 20 or 30% of power just by being at uh, like sub-zero degrees. So, or sub-zero when I'm t- we're talking Celsius here, so when it's freezing. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of a lot. And when it comes to these smaller EVs, they may not, may not have these large batteries that provide them with enough power to kind of stay in the cold for extended periods of time. So losing 20 or 30% of that small power supply that they have can be very troublesome. You said that you, did you say that there were um, some vehicles stranded there in Sweden, a similar situation recently? Yeah. Uh, we had lots of uh, was not lots of media coverage about EVs actually, just because uh, they were the ones actually stranded and having to be towed, whereas uh, internal combustion engines they could be uh, uh, have be topped off and drive off. So uh, I don't think there was an issue with them actually um, with like the the lights and the radio and so on, like uh, stop that stopped working because of the drainage in batteries. But I know that there were quite a few EVs that were towed. And is that something that you think that, uh, you know, there's there's auto companies or the I don't know how if it's the government that steps in on some situation like that. But uh, is there talk about a way to resolve that kind of a problem in the future? Well, this was a very unusual situation where we had, I think, a really large snowstorm that stranded lots of people. Um, so, no, I haven't heard any talks of like the government or someone else stepping in. Uh, but I do believe that you should, it comes down to the person driving the car being aware of kind of the limits of the vehicle. Obviously, if it's really, really cold outside, you may lose charge and you need to know kind of how far you have to go. Uh, because if you're driving an internal combustion engine, if you do not have fuel either, <laughs> it will get stuck. So it's, it's the same kind of, but you need to think about different things. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. If, if it was 10 years ago, AAA would come out with just a whole bunch of gasoline and start filling up some people in their cars. But 20 years from now, maybe sooner in Europe, like you said, all these electric vehicles are going to be out there and there's no way to really bring in a a fat. Maybe there is going to be a vehicle that has a fast charger of some sort that can just hook up to uh, an EV after 15 minutes. It has enough power maybe to get going the next 10 or 15 or 20 miles down the road if if they could open it up. So there's another business idea for you. Uh, Tim, if you <laughs> perhaps they, <they're, laughs> yeah, maybe maybe so. Perhaps there will be these electric drones coming, <laughs> and then they will get stranded. And <laughs> because, yeah, yeah, with your Amazon package on it, right? Yeah, exactly. Amazon fill up <laughs> will come with these uh, huge chargers, just char- topping all the cars off. Uh, is it more dangerous if you get in a crash in a um, electric vehicle compared to an 
internal combustion engine vehicle? Um, I, I'm not quite sure about the safety, but I, I believe that I read just the other day that uh, since the battery is moved beneath the vehicle, so it's you're basically sitting on the battery plate, uh, you can kind of change the safety in front of and on the rear of the vehicle. Obviously, the motor is usually at the front, but um, and that will make kind of the safety. You, you move lots of weight around, and so you can adjust kind of the safety parameters. So we know that, for example, the Teslas have been the safest cars around for quite some years now. Uh, and I believe that other EVs as well are coming to kind of that same general um, conclusion on safety simply because they can move the batteries around and make kind of the car according to their needs, um, fit their needs much more than when it comes to the internal combustion engines where they have the weight on the front. And if your Tesla catches on fire, that could keep you warm in the snow as well. That would be one idea to solve the issue of getting stranded. <laughs> you just light it on fire and it will, it will stay on fire for a long time. Exactly. And I, maybe, maybe that's like your last resort option, but it's an option. It is an option, of course. <laughs> I, I was reading through the Zootobi blog as I'm speaking with Tim Waldenbach, co-founder of Zootobi, an online driver's education site. I was reading on the on the blog there that you do have a, a whole list of the top 10 winter driving tips uh, the main tips that I try to preach uh, really can be summed up in this statement and see if you agree or you have uh, different tips. Uh, make no sudden moves. Yeah, I think that's a good one. Uh, quite simply because even though you may think you're in control of your vehicle, you, don't, you never know when other people are not. And we talked about tires earlier. People can have the wrong tires on, meaning they will not be able to stop at all uh, and stuff like that. So just try to not make the wrong moves. Don't drive stupidly in traffic. Yeah. You should. Uh, that's kind of the main, main advice that I think anyone should, uh, should uh, take from uh, driving in the winter. Just stay, stay safer. Do not make wrong moves. Drive slower if you can. Keep the safety margin longer and so on. I go to work and I'm driving to work. It's a little after three o'clock in the morning. And even it's just me and a, a couple of semis, but there's, there's really, I have pretty much the entire roadway open for me without a lot of traffic around me, which I think helps out. How, how much of a difference or how much do you think of a problem it is to have other people that are driving around you that maybe are inexperienced or you never know what they're going to do. It's maybe not me, my driving in the snow. It's their driving in the snow. That's going to cause me a problem. Oh, I think it's a huge problem. Uh, we know for a fact that many accidents come not because, well, like obviously sometimes both drivers may be somewhat responsible, but in many, many accidents, one driver is, is mostly responsible and perhaps the other one is just honestly a, a bystander uh, that was caught up in a, in a traffic accident. So I think that being aware of other vehicles and for that reason, keeping, for example, a longer um following distance and so on just so you have more time to break and so you don't have to be caught up in other people's uh, stuff uh, is really important talk about how much of a problem you think the distraction especially when you're driving in the snow you need really need all focus you can well with what you're doing and then somebody might be messing with their gps or they're messing with their phone or uh, you know being distracted in some other way how how much how 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 much more magnified is the distraction of your phone or other distractions on bad weather days compared to a good weather day 
Well, it really depends. I believe that in bad weather days, your your vision may be obstructed, like just starting off. So even just coming into the situation, you will have less uh, a worse view of the road ahead. Um, you will also have longer stopping distances, meaning that if you are distracted by your GPS, for example, uh, that one or two or three seconds may actually be the difference maker from being able to stop or not. Because in the summer, perhaps you or you may keep the same following distance in the winter as during the summer. Uh, and But in the summer, you would be able to stop, whereas in the winter, due to less traction on the road and snow, you will not be able to stop, even if you press your brakes at the same time. So I feel like just these, these distractions in the winter, what they do is they, like you mentioned, they kind of magnify the real problem simply because you need to kind of is that habit the other way where you have more time in every single situation rather than less. You you obviously sh- share some tips about, and we talked about them, winter driving, uh, d- but is it the same? Would you have the same tips if you are driving in Europe compared to the United States? Are there differences in the way Europeans drive or the European road system is set up compared to the United States system set up? And, and you might have different tips based on Europe uh, or the United States or, or even Asia or, or other countries that get some ice and snow? Well, I do think that the tips kind of depend on how much snow you actually have. Because if you do have curry snow, you will sort of have the same basic uh, um, basic uh, outline of what you need to think about. But for example, Italy, we had just uh, a few weeks back uh, where there was snow in Italy and Obviously, they do not expect there to be snow. They do not have the tires for snow. They are not prepared for it at all. And so I would say that kind of the tips going to Italy would have been completely different, different just because they, they don't know how to drive at all in snow, whereas these tips are more towards staying safe during your normal driving rather than just going over all of the stuff that can happen in, in snow. Well, and they're driving their uh, Ferraris all around with bad tires and probably too fast. So, that <laughs> but that, I, there are parts of Italy. They had the Winter Olympics in Italy um, a bunch of years ago. So they, they can't be that un, unfamiliar to snow. Well, they have the Alps. So obviously they will have some parts of Italy where you, you can drive up the mountains and you will face snow. But in terms of the, the, the large majority, they would never see snow when. Like when there's snow actually falling from the sky, they, they basically go out to the streets and like, what's this? This is what I've seen on TV. <laughs> it's, it's not like driving there in Sweden where you are or uh, Norway or Finland where you obviously see, you know, all kinds of snow and, and ice and, and have to deal with that bad weather for longer than most other parts of, of Europe and the United States. Oh, not at all. What can teens do when they get onto the Zootobi site? What can they learn about winter driving or what can they learn about uh, the best practices of, of driving in ice and snow and uh, get them to help them out as they're trying to learn to drive? I would think that, it because to me, experience is really the best teacher. Oh, it for sure is. Uh, what we've done is we have actually devoted entire lessons towards driving in snow and during in hazardous situations and so on. So what we have, we have tons of tips. We have the illustrations, pictures and so on, where we really try to highlight like this is how 
a person should act. This is how you should not act, obviously, which is equally important. Uh, so we have uh, tons of content uh, specifically made for driving in rain, ice, snow, and so on. So I think that for folks uh, that are <laughs> interested in learning how to drive, uh, this is definitely a good way where you experience and can kind of visualize these sorts of situations. And do you give any tips on driving different types of vehicles, driving a SUV, a larger vehicle, driving a smaller vehicle uh, with different capabilities? Uh, they, they all, again, experience is really the best teacher. But do you have any tips uh, for, for the teens when they're trying to drive different styles and different sizes of vehicles? <laughs> We do have some tips for sure, uh, and it all is, and most come down to the size. Uh, we do not discuss a whole lot about the torque, for example, but rather about the kind of how the size makes the difference in terms of blind spots, how you should act, uh, how you should not drive in another driver's blind spot, how your blind spot is set, are set up, uh, even when it comes to like large trucks, for example. Like, how should you even approach a truck driving, driving on a, a highway? Uh, because obviously I've done this myself. If you come up too quickly or you get in, in their blind spots, that's kind of the one of the biggest dangers in traffic overall, just because they're huge and they will not see you. And they also can splash, especially if there's slush on the road, they splash all that stuff on your windshield, temporarily blinding you and trying to wipe it off. It's it's really unnerving, even if it's just for two or three or four seconds. It's really unnerving when you're when you're driving and you can't see where you're going. Yeah, I think that one of my most dangerous experiences ever in traffic was actually when I tried to pass a truck in. It was at night, so and and uh, in the winter, and I got all this slash on my windscreen, and I literally did not see the road ahead of me. I just tried to keep my my vehicle going straight and trying to pass the truck. But since it's quite a tight, it was quite a tight road, and I had this huge truck next to me. Just I was really scared there. Uh, eventually I got past it. I just tried to <laughs> slam slam the the accelerator just to kind of get past. I didn't want to stay there for long because it just kept getting more and more slash. But yeah, that was very dangerous. So since then, so I'm really taking it easy when I pass uh, tracks. Well, and that can be a little tricky. You said you slam on the accelerator to get going. If you have a rear wheel drive, you're you're in more of a a risk of, of, you know, spinning out a little bit, you know, fishtailing compared to a front wheel drive where you're trying to just hit the gas. Yeah, for sure. And I probably did not do that the correct way, <laughs> but I just, you know, once, once it happens, you never know how to act. Uh, and so I got this slash on the windscreen. It was night. I couldn't see anything. And I felt that if I were to stay behind this next to this truck for a longer time, you know, this would just keep going. I had to get past. So yeah, that was uh, my story, and but I'm safe now, and everything worked out. How long is the winter season there in Sweden? Uh, well, it sort of depends. We usually get snow like for the first time in uh, early December or late November, uh, and then it can keep going all the way to April, basically. So it really depends, but uh, it's uh, it, it's white and lovely outside now. So <laughs> at least there's snow right now. Very nice. More you have more snow there than I do in Colorado, which is uh, which is good. You can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim Waldenbach, uh, co-founder of Zootobi online drivers education site, and you can again get their uh, link at the description of the show. I appreciate your time and your insight, and talking to you from uh, talking from across <laughs> in Europe there. And thanks for thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me.
Again, all the contact links for Zootoby and for Tim are in the description of this show. And like anything, experience really is the best teacher. And it's going to take some time to get new EV owners really used to how the cars drive a little bit differently than the gasoline cars. One thing that I remember growing up was that you, if you got stuck in the snow, you had to uh, rock the car back and forth. And sometimes you have to slam the car from drive to reverse and back and forth and try to help rock the car back and forth. I, the, the, the gear shift is a little bit uh, basically the same in a, in a gasoline car as well as a uh, electric car. You just, you know, move the shifter, obviously it's a little bit different feel though. When you're trying to rock the car back and forth, um, you, you don't, yeah, like I said earlier, you don't hear the engine revving. That's a whole different feel. So it's just, well, I guess if you have a good experience or bad experience or any experience driving an electric vehicle in uh, ice or uh, on in snow or on ice, then uh, let me know. You can uh, get me on any of the contact links in the description of this show. So thanks again for being here and thanks for listening. Thanks to Tim for all your uh, insights there. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.